Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Bullet Points. Uh, this will probably get, I don't know how we're going to file this. I think at one point there was a better filing system for this kind of episode, which is not your standard episode with, you know, a bunch of jokers sitting around jawing about something um, with no input from the people who made it. This time we're talking about a game with its creator. We're talking about In Other Waters. Um, a game by Gareth Damien Martin. Gareth, how are you? I didn't even I didn't say anything about your uh, your kind of CV here. Uh, so I guess in short, Gareth is a, a writer, an artist, a game designer, and all sorts of things. Uh, you may know him from game criticism, which is <clears throat> how I know you, Gareth. Uh, from Heterotopias, which is a very good magazine that you should go and read. Um, but right now, Gareth is one thing. He has taken all of his uh, his various skills and funneled them into game designer. That's what Gareth Damien now stands for. It's game designer Martin. And so we're going to talk about In Other Waters. Terrible introduction, by the way. Yusuf, how are you? No, that was great. Good job. <laughs> um, fantastic introduction. Um, you funneled your history of, of podcasting into <laughs> an excellent introduction. <laughs> and yep. appreciate that. Uh, I'm doing good. I'm excited to talk to, to Gareth about this game because I've definitely been enjoying myself playing it and, you know, like taking on these mysterious sea, sea wonders of the sea, um, the alien <laughs> sea. So yeah, I'm, I'm psyched. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll get into it and talk about this in a second. I guess I should probably say, uh, up front, uh, that I guess take some of my opinions or our opinions with a grain of salt. Um, Gareth is a colleague and we've written for some of the same publications and, uh, Yusuf, I, think uh you've written for gareth's magazine heterotopias before so this isn't uh you know if you can't trust the opinions of anyone who has <laughs> has, has known someone who's <laughs> has met, met somebody yeah uh <laughs> yeah. it's compromised so if uh if, you, if you're clenching yeah. your teeth and and drawing connections on a cork board <laughs> uh, you can just ignore anything positive that we have to say yeah. about the game um, so I guess maybe the place to start is Gareth to maybe just to ask you like some of the background of making this um, I know my first the first time I had heard of this was when you launched the Kickstarter a few years ago but I was kind of wondering about uh kind of like the genesis of the idea and sort of what you were thinking about um, before you actually sort of set to work and made uh, the demo that came out with the Kickstarter and, and all of that. Sure. Yeah, so um, I think really I kind of traced the game back to the summer of uh, 2017 when I was in um, Greece I was in the. I was staying um, at a place 
uh, at the Gulf of Torinaeus, which is like this beautiful bit of the Aegean that's tucked between some peninsulas in northern Greece. And there was the it, the sea was basically at the bottom of the garden of the place I was staying at. So it was, every morning I would just get up and go and swim in the sea. Um, which even though I grew up on an island uh, in Scotland, that was not a place where you could get up every day and swim in the sea unless you wanted to die. <laughs> so... <laughs> um, so that was pretty cool. And while I was, that was the summer before I was uh, my 30th birthday. And at the time I, I had this plan to make a game for my 30th birthday as a kind of present to myself because I've been messing around with making games for a long time, but not really committing to doing it in a very serious way, just kind of little experimental things. I did one with Kyle, I think that year as well. Kyle Kush, mm -hmm. that's how you say his name. Um, Sorry, Carl. <laughs> Probably just butchered your name. Um, and uh, yeah, I um, uh, I lost myself. I was uh, yeah, so I was, I was planning to make a small game, and I made a game called Salt while I was there, or started to make it, um, which is a little interactive fiction game where you hit space to keep a stamina bar going while you think while you swim. So you're basically swimming and thinking at the same time. So text appears as you swim, and um, while I was work making that, I was trying to think about ways in which I could extend that idea of uh, combining more traditional game design elements. So that was kind of like a, almost like a quick time event combined with an interactive fiction game. Um, and try to combine traditional game structures with interactive fiction. Um, because they're often quite separate things. Mm -hmm. um, or, or text is like really undervalued, I guess. Like I love text in games. Um, but it's often like not focused on its thought of as kind of subsidiary. So just kind of trying to bring yeah those two together and um, and I just think I, I feel like I just woke up one morning with the idea of an AI inside of a dive suit on an alien planet. Um, I think I was also reading Jeff Vandermeer at the time as well. So I think it just kind of melded in my brain. Um, and once I had that idea, I was like, okay, this, this idea is. It, it just made sense to me straight away, and I was like, this is going to work, and I'm going to make it. It was like one of those things where the idea kind of takes hold of you almost, instead of, like, you're like, oh, I received this idea. Mm -hmm. I, I now need to make it, because it would be a shame not to. Um, and so I started just kind of working on that idly, like trying to draft it out, um, and pulling together also, like, just bits and pieces of the experiences I had there swimming like there were there were some really I think when you swim every day you start to see kind of so much weird stuff or like things just out of nowhere um I remember one day I was swimming and I I found this like bag it looked like a bag of organs it was this, it was something called a salt which is like just a, a weird creature but it was it's just like this white bag of orange organs it was completely transparent and um it was just floating at the surface while I just sort of basically swam into it. And um, I had another time I, I found a, a barracuda, um, which was very bizarre because I didn't expect to find one at all. Um, I was I was like chasing a little fish and then I saw that it was also kind of following this fish, <laughs> was basically hunting it. And I had this weird moment where I kind of turned to face the barracuda and then it kind of turned to face me. And I've never, you know, fish are not the kind of creatures you get signals from. I've never before received a kind of that same signal you get when you like I'd know like look like meet eyes with like a dog or a cat or whatever and it gives you that kind of like territorial mm -hmm. 
um, sense of like, oh, that's your space and this is my space, and we're gonna we're gonna respect that. So yeah, so I had like lots of little experiences like that as well, and so I think all of this stuff just started to, to meld in my brain. Um, and when I when I got back to London, I, I kind of finished up Salt and then started to work on on the prototype for In Other Waters. Um, I want to mention or talk to you at some point a bit more in this about um, about Jeff Vandermeer because <laughs> he was uh, specifically uh, oh Christ is it the Southern Reach trilogy those are yeah. the three books yeah um, I, there were a few aspects of In Other Waters I think we can talk about without talking specifically about um, uh, certain plot moments that I think the idea of environmentalism in them is uh, uh, some of the understanding of of life, I think, is, is interesting to talk about. But um, the one thing I want to ask you is about how you kind of wrangled, because this game, um, I, I probably should have introduced it a bit more specifically before, um, but it mostly plays out as... I mean, I'm going to do a bad job explaining it, I'm sure. Gareth, do you have, like, a, a elevator pitch that you've repeated a million times now? Uh, yeah, I could. Or do I you want to hear me try to something. do it? I kind of like the, yeah, I prefer <laughs> so you to hear you. <laughs> I'm so bored of hearing yeah, you say it. <laughs> okay, well then, Yusuf, you jump in if I, <laughs> if I fail at this. But it's, I would call it, uh, it's like an exploration game um, with... Uh, sort of a top-down view. Uh, God, what's the best way to put this? Like, it's an adventure game if you wanted to have the umbrella genre category that's played by... You are playing as an AI um, who is in control of a suit uh, that is exploring the oceans or the waters of an alien planet um which is about all you know at the beginning you're looking for um i guess to be completely vague a colleague <laughs> of the main character who has gone missing on this planet and you're doing this by kind of moving through the waters and documenting notes and samples of the life that's found there. And this is the first intelligent life that's been found outside of Earth. This is set in a, you know, it's a science fiction game. Is that, is that going to do it? And you, you move her. Yeah. The basic, I'm not going to say loop, but I just said it. Um, <laughs> the basic, like, the rhythm of this is that you are kind of moving through these spaces toward an objective that you you know is there that is usually to investigate a space or to try to get towards something and uh, that might make your your suit be able to better handle extreme environments and as you're going you're trying to not run out of power and oxygen although it's not like a constant ticking talk survival game for most of it and you are trying to collect and observe I guess observe is the best way to put it, uh, the various life forms on this planet. I don't know. Maybe There's that's... also like a really interesting um, text adventure layer where 
you like you know it's kind of that mix of like what you mentioned gareth like of of like interactive fiction where you are while there's a visual layer of of exploration you're also getting a lot of um descriptions of what you're seeing because the view of the game is top down and flat and, and abstracted and then uh you get more uh I, I would say rich descriptions through the through this little um kind of like uh, uh type space in, in on the screen that that will explain what the ai is seeing in a more three-dimensional way and also uh is able to communicate with the the researcher um, which actually took me a second to figure out how to do. So for the first like half hour, she was like, "Why are you not talking to me?" <laughs> which is kind of cool too, because it's like because you kind of are like basically the premise is like you're this AI that was like left on the planet by the uh, by the last researcher. So you've been there for a bit, and you're a little like kind of rust, maybe not rusty, but like dysfunctional. At least that's how I was like kind of role playing it. <laughs> Also, not being able to, to figure out how to respond until a few, until a little bit into it, but um, yeah, you can communicate with um, the researcher in a kind of a basic uh, affirmation or affirmative negative like uh, feedback. But I thought that was really cool. I was, I mean, I dug, I dug how it worked in uh, Titanfall too, where it's like, uh, which is similar kind of where uh, at least, well, no, you're playing the pilot, I guess, but. Um, Though when you, in Titanfall 2, where you're basically a, a pilot in a robot, there are moments when the pilot and the and the mech suit can communicate, and it's always very simple, um, but it adds a layer of like kind of human interaction or just like emotional involvement with a piece of machinery that I think is very successful, and it works here as well, because um, you're also like role playing mm. as AI, and I think that's always fun to do. Where you're like, why would I care about this human's like petty emotional issues? <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny how um, different people respond to being given the role, and that's one of yeah, like that's one of the things I really enjoy with the game. And I've had people kind of come up to me after playing the the demo at shows and be like, uh, "Why does this lady think that I'm a I'm an AI?" Because mm. they're so sure of their personhood, mm. you know that they. And even there was an RPS like video recently where they were they were like. I'm not an AI, like, I'm a person, like, that's why, it's just like early on, Ellery kind of asks you, oh, are you, um, like, you, you know, you seem different to, to a normal AI, and, and um, it's kind of like, people are like, yeah, I am different, I, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a real person, <laughs> and it, it's like a, a weird flipping of, of the, um, of the, like, traditional game relationship, I guess, where often you have this, like, like, everything in the game is obviously machinistic, like Ellery is not a person, um, you know the creatures are not people. Everything they're all just machines because they're inside the game. But like you are playing the the machine, and you're the only human, like real human in the game. So yeah, um, you know it's kind of fun. No, I, th- fun I to think play that game with players. I think it's a, a device I'm very fond of, just because it does um, it does reflect the artificial nature of the game or of video games, and like it makes it does make sense. It's, it makes more sense, on the, at least like, for my read of it, to to play as the AI than it does to play as a person because like, because you are inter- you're like, you're, you're grappling with that layer of, of artificiality. Whereas in a normal like, personified character, you'd have to kind of ignore it, or try and kind of like, yeah. um, uh, you know, suspend disbelief. 
here you're like allowed to 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 deal with that on its surface and i think i mean i don't know if you've played observation but it does something kind of similar as well um mm. where it's like you're kind of you're playing as an ai and like you're dealing with a scripted human person human that that you're doing things for but I, I think that's just like such a a great um innovation <laughs> in in like kind of game um and like kind of game character control player mm-hmm. character I- I, th- I think that for me, like the, I, it came quite naturally with the sense of um, the artifice of, like you say, the artifice of interacting or controlling a game character is often very, like, disjointed with the experience. Like, if you're Commander Shepard, like, who are you in Mass Effect? Like, are you Shepard or are you like the TV director or the scriptwriter or like, mm-hmm. you know, the, you go through like a lot of different roles. Um, and sometimes that that's that's cool but other times it creates this like weird disjunction where you can quite happily do the whole like yeah i'm being nice for five seconds and then like insanely (laughs) evil for five seconds and then like nice for another five seconds because you have no stakes um while i I guess i was inspired also by games like uh like the duskers yeah which is like yeah like a but like um yeah for people who don't know it's like a game where you play as like a drone operator driving little drones around um uh, derelict spaceships at the end, kind of at the end of the universe, trying to salvage stuff. And um, the thing I like in that game is you really, you really end up talking to all your stupid little drones <laughs> that have no personalities at all. Um, and just because the game includes you, like it includes your keyboard and your desk and the screen and everything in the in the game space, because it casts you as somebody who's supposed to be sat in front of a computer, and you can kind of imagine yourself in that space. And so I think that was something that I. Yeah, it's really nice to hear that that's coming through because I, it's something I really want to do is like, like activate that space between the player and Ellery. Yeah. By really limiting the the communication with Ellery, but providing the player with maybe encourage the player to to kind of talk to Ellery themselves or to like imagine things themselves or role play, um, even if they didn't have like very, uh, like a wide range of expressive abilities, they could still like imagine a. a, a where they are and who they are. Mm-hmm. I was, I mean, you covered a lot of what I was going to ask you about when I was, like, I was thinking about the the way that this game sort of, if you just look at a screenshot, it might look really mechanical, um, which over time becomes something that you do you don't think about as much because your main... Your main view is um, the interface for this this suit, right? So you you're not um, sort of moving a body around in three dimensions. You are uh, charting the path of of the suit, and you know clicking on different things at the side to uh, extend a tool to collect samples um, or to you know, fuel your oxygen power or to, uh, you know, later on activate uh, different different features of the suit to bypass obstacles and, and so forth and so on. And it looks, when you first see it, um, it, it does look very much like a, a kind of cold interface. Um, but then you come to, as, as you kind of 
acclimate to it and you start reading the descriptions of what's being seen and you move deeper and the audio does I think a really great job in this game of of pushing you toward um, imagining these spaces more um, it, it kind of makes this interesting blurring of of kind of like machine and nature and I think your imagination and and the computer screen or or TV in front of you, and anyway, it's a, it's a long way of of getting around to asking you, Gareth. I was thinking about the. I think it would be really easy for none of that to come off, for the game to feel too cold, um, or too sort of. I don't know, kind of like dry or or just like matter of fact. Uh, and so I was curious, I think I remember seeing you tweet GIFs of, like, 80s and 90s, like, anime machines. Is that right? Definitely. Or... Oh, yeah. Uh, and I know it's, like, you know, easier said than done to say, you know, look at this, um, this incredible animation of, of a hand, you know, turning a key in a machine that's making, you know, all these different levers and and doors and stuff open, but how did you kind of conceptualize the interface and figure out a way to, to kind of make it like digestible or, or not overwhelming to the player? Yeah. That's, um, yeah, that's like a long process, I guess that, um, that started, um, with me just kind of like first of all figuring out like what the interface would be but I think w one thing that really helped was from the beginning I was very stuck on the idea that I wanted the interface to feel like not like um, not like you're clicking on a computer program or like not like the, the, like to try and get away from maybe some of the more traditional computer interactions we're used to when we're sat in front of a computer screen um, so that was like instantly why I was like, okay, I want like radial things are good because actually we don't really use radial, like not many, many things have radial menus, um, apart from video games, which tend to have them because of controllers. So I think like straight away I was drawn to that, but I also, at the beginning I was just like the compass game, for example, from scuba diving and just looking at like, well, how does, how do you navigate when you, when you scuba dive and what you do is you, you always set your heading on your dive watch, on your dive compass, before you move, so you, um, you know, you, you, that's exactly what you do in the game. Really, is you set a heading each time you move, um, so that you would be able to, you know, you're, you're always fixed to north in the game. But in real, I guess in real life, like Ellery would be able to perceive, like, okay, this is where I was and this is where I've moved to, and so I won't get lost. Um, and then the same with the sampling. Like I looked at like how deep sea like sampling is done with like vacuum tubes and stuff and I wanted to kind of make things abstracted but representative and um just always looking at that and then like yeah the I think the anime gifts and were for me were about like I didn't want to make it also feel like a like you're playing an iPhone like app mm -hmm. version of a dive suit I wanted it to be um like like those, those, uh, they're so flashy. Those like anime interfaces, and they're so, um, like they're just there to be visually exciting. They're not very like good interfaces in the traditional sense. 
um, they're just like really about they're really about the pleasure of of an interface, like the kind of visual pleasure it can give you. And I think that's why I focused down on them because I knew that that would be something that I wanted to do with the game. I didn't like I wanted to make a cockpit. I like I never in my head was like this is a cockpit game, um, but obviously it is a kind of cockpit game or a kind of like navigation game but i wanted to make a cockpit game that was like for people who don't play cockpit games or like submarine games or cause there's a ton of games where you control a, the inside of a cockpit of a submarine or whatever or plane or whatever um but those games are often like like you say super dry and i guess in my head i, I was never like i personally was not particularly enamored by that i really wanted something that felt like that gave you feelings i guess like when you interacted with it that like responded and felt human and natural um but also weird and so hence avoiding text like descriptions on buttons or like labeling of buttons trying to have a symbol language for everything and having a highly restricted like language symbol language for everything really like the game uh, over time like as i iterated <coughs> i found the game could only really like support a certain set of shapes a certain set of colors mm -hmm. there's only really three three colors um that i can work with in the interface and that like presented huge limitations on what I could express um, in terms of like oh this this node is has been scanned but not visited or this node has been visited or this node is um, has a sample at it or this one is for going up and down or that kind of stuff was <clears throat> took a, a lot of work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <coughs> I can only <But> imagine. On... <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's that kind of comes from my background, I guess. Like I should say that. Um, you know, my even though I I have been a games critic, as both of you will know, that's not the money work. And so what? the uh... maybe not. Maybe not for the <laughs> <UK>. chumps. <laughs> yeah, and the yeah the pound is much more oriented towards. Those, <laughs> no, um, the, the British game economy. No, um, it's yeah. So I've been working as a graphic designer and a motion uh, motion graphics designer, like like Yusuf, although probably not uh, even half as interesting things as Yusuf is doing right now. Stop. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but the, um, yeah, so that, that for me came quite naturally, I guess, like iterating through visual palettes and like I'm a totally obsessive mood border. The moment I start any project in my head, I'm, I've, I've already got like a 500 image Pinterest board going and like, yeah, I just, I just endlessly search for stuff. And I don't find crazy stuff. And that's why I found this like random, there's like this Cougar number seven Panasonic Japanese radio that I'm obsessed with. And the moment I saw it, I was like, that's it. That's the, that's the emblematic visual design of this game. And I don't know if anybody else sees that if they look at my game and then look at that radio. Um, but yeah, for me, like I'm always trying to like gather all of that material and drill down into it and then get to the point where you know implicitly like what works and what doesn't even if somebody else doesn't you you just kind of you can work without worrying that you're going to break your own rule set because you've just kind of internalized it um mm -hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, on my for my part yeah like it was the ui was very it was a very fascinating journey for me just because like i said like when i first started there were parts of it that i just wasn't immediately getting because you know there's no tutorial and you kind of just dropped in so like i like i think my <laughs> my main tripping point was actually just like because i was using the xbox 360 controller so i was mistaking the left and right for select and start 
and select and start kind of shows off the um or select at least I think just shows like the it'll toggle on and off a mini tutorial kind of where it's like what buttons do what uh, um, yeah. but uh, so that it took me a second then I was like okay so that, that's actually what this, these are talking about the directional buttons on on the keypad or on the, the gamepad and but I thought that was actually it worked well for my experience like I said like my kind of role play of this being like a derelict suit where you start off kind of feeling like you're it's like you know any kind of like i was i mean it's true with a lot of games where it's like you kind of start you 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 get over a threshold of comfortableness with like with the controls with the with the interaction between what you want to do and what happens in the game and so i was feeling that I felt it very strongly, strongly with this, partially also because there's so little, so f- few controls and few few like factors of interaction. So once you hit that threshold, it's very clear that you're understanding now, like what does what. Um, and I think, and at this point, it's it definitely feels very intuitive. Um, but there was for sure a learning curve where I was, um, especially when you, I, I, I think maybe like one to two hours into it you get to you get to areas where you that are dangerous like where you can lose oxygen very quickly and then that's really when the you when the challenges of like of of being competent with the ui come to the surface where you're just like i really need to move quickly but i'm but i'm my my the synapse between what i want to do and and the controls are a little too far and then so the, there's that so there is like a, a bridge that must be crossed but um, I think it, I think it works, and also, whenever you don't answer her, and she's like, "What's wrong with you?" <laughs> um, I just, yeah, I totally like felt this. Like, um, I think what would what felt like a natural um, awkwardness that would that again speaks to the artificiality of games, and then how this game approaches it head on, where it's like um, you're you're stuck in this alien. Um, interface, and then you kind of have to like map your way out. Um, at the same time as you have to map out the the world around you. So I think that, yeah, I think it on a like, I think the interface serves the 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 it serves the tone well and it serves the the narrative. Um, and yeah, I've like. Like I said, I couldn't imagine how hard it is because I also, yeah, while I have a design background, like I've never had to do like UI stuff really. Um, I don't know if you've done it like like for your work. Um, Not really. Yeah, this is probably the most UI. Work yeah, like, I've ever done. like motion graphics is a lot of like fake UI. <laughs> when you're just like, yeah, yeah. yeah this probably would it just look make it look cool. Like you said, like the animate like key turn animation, just like make it look really fun, but it doesn't have to like like UI is such a different beast. Because it's like, it, it doesn't often get to be as fun because you have to, and which is something I, I definitely like come across working on Patriot Act, which is like the Netflix show that I work on, um, and it's a lot of screen graphics uh, behind a host, and essentially like our our main issue is always um, we want to make something cooler than a line graph a line like or a pie graph a pie chart but it's like those are it's explicitly easy to understand information and anything anytime you like move beyond that you like start 
you get some head scratches you know you get people like kind of having to like process it and that's like that just could never work because for them to have to process it it's on screen for three seconds like it's gone and then like you've lost the audience so it's like um so there's something similar to like user interaction where like you really need to express something like um you need something that will like resonate with the most people like at like you know in the shortest amount of time like in terms of like clarity Mm -hmm. legibility contrast like simplicity yeah yeah i think i you know i'm towing a very risky line with the game sometimes with that stuff because because that's not my background and perhaps that gives me a bit of freedom to because i'm approach it probably more like a graphic designer or motion graphic designer like a print designer where functionality is not really an issue um and so i probably you know i've spent many a painful game show like <laughs> watching people fail for my like and just but I, so after I after quite a few of those, like I I kind of sat down and figured out. But in a way, like if, if maybe I don't know. It, it's sometimes it's really easy actually. Like one of the easiest things in the game was I just added this little pulse. Um, this is like giving it away now. But like I added this little pulse right at the start of the game, and I, I find it interesting that like a lot of people say, "Oh, this game doesn't have a tutorial," um, but it like has this really explicit pulse at the beginning of the game which only appears at the beginning of the game which basically is like just a pavlovian trick to make you press somewhere if you're using mouse it's probably hmm. quite different if you're playing a keyboard uh, playing it with the the pad so but it still still kind of guides your eye hmm. but it's this little like sonar pulse that just appears like because what i found is that just people weren't getting the the original like the, the initial loop like the initial kind of like scan target move whatever set but um, if they didn't get it, if you didn't get it into people's heads like early on, then they never got it. That's what was. That's what became a big issue mm. is that like people never got comfortable, and so a lot of iterating the early part of the game was trying to get people in to a point where even if they didn't know what they were doing, it was actually more about teaching them their like muscle memory a little bit mm-hmm. to, to do a series of actions over and over again, even if they didn't know really what those actions were. While initially I always thought it would be important to explain. To people what the context is I actually chopped a load of context out of the early part of the game and made it even like even more confusing in a way um with the kind of pre-credits or like credits bit and really be- and realized that i could just focus on um the like the just like if i make this thing pulse then eventually some people are going to click it like if they're looking at the screen they're like i have no idea what i've got to click if there's a pulse somewhere then people will be like well i'll click that and it's like they, it's a, it's funny because people almost clock it as their own idea as well. They almost clock it as like that that didn't tell me to press it. I I figured that out. And so it's yeah, it's interesting to play those little games um, and figure that stuff out. Um, it was very satisfying when that stuff started to actually to land. Mm. But yeah, it's been there's definitely a lot of pain. I'm sure it's very psychological, <laughs> like kind of the like kind of trying to guide your the players into like to doing what you want them to do. Or to even be able to like inter inter interact with the game. Yeah, it's it's hard though because you don't you never know like how people are gonna take it. And there's certainly people get stuck at points where I still am just like I have no idea how you got stuck here because I don't I I have no ability to see it mm-hmm. the way you do. And so it took a lot of 
time to to figure out those things and like why is it that people are because it's often not for the reason that maybe people are thinking of at that time it's often for like something that happened three steps back that that made them assume something about the way in which everything works and it's yeah you have to unpick a lot of a lot of stuff um but it is yeah it's very you're right it's very subconscious or um and it's yeah it's an it's definitely an interesting thing to play with but it's such a delicate um, delicate art and that was probably one of the hardest things for me actually making the game because that's probably the thing that I'm least experienced at as a game designer oh, well literally game design I mean I you know <laughs> uh, like the the kind of visual side and like the writing I'm much more comfortable with um, but like game design yeah is something that can get really naughty I was uh, curious to ask you to and to move a little bit into the writing itself and uh, some of the visual design too. And I was thinking about when you were talking about the uh, the early part and and cutting out some of the the, the context um, that that didn't seem entirely necessary. How you kind of came to uh, be comfortable or confident, I guess maybe is the best way to put it with the kind of volume of visual detail and uh, text as well. Because I was thinking it would be really easy for the map in this game to be overwhelming. Like it kind of... To me, one thing that I really enjoyed was that um, it reminded me of being on a boat and looking at the... they call depth maps. Is that what they are when you... Yeah, there's a specific word for it, like bathymetry, maybe bathymetric. Oh, bathymetric. Oh yeah, like That's the bathosphere fun. from Bioshock. Yeah. Yeah, like bathos means things. <laughs> <laughs> taught you some Greek. Yeah. But it reminded me of of those and of <clears throat> um, my father-in-law's sales, and so I've seen a lot of his. Uh, you know, you'll buy the maps of a region of of water. Um, or or sea or ocean, um, and to me it's you know pretty much impenetrable. But because it's just there's so much detail. But I think in other waters does a good job of kind of giving you the feeling that you are reading something with the eyes of an expert, even though it's even though you're not. Um, and it's also I think very evocative just based on color and text description and to me that seemed like something that you know I, I guess I keep saying this but there's a lot of things in this game where I feel like if you were just a bit too indulgent or I don't know if you got carried away with detail you could make something that would be impenetrable or just frustrating to try to move through and mm-hmm. you know I'm kind of curious about the this is a big question, but yeah, how you came upon the the format for the writing and the and the visual design. Yeah, I think there's there's a few things there. I guess um, I'll try not to forget a few of them while I talk about some of the other ones as <laughs> I tend to do. But the um, the like description, like I think description is such a huge part of the game. Like not just textual description, but just description as like an as like how how images work to describe things and how sounds work to describe things. And, um, 
Yeah, it became, I think after a while it became instinctive that like I would see things that I'd be like, no, that's too much, too much description. Um, like, because there was a point early on where I started adding more detail to the map and more details to the map. And then I think it just hit that point where I was like, this is, this feels right in relation to the text. Like it feels mm. like we're being suggestive. Um, like the resolution of the uh, contour lines, you know, that's like a very, that became a very specific thing. Like what, because I didn't, never wanted to get down to that point where you're like, oh yeah, I can see that she's describing a physical formation in this node, in this text here, and that I can see that physical formation reflected in a set of contour lines. Like it, it, it was trying to just stay on the vague side of that so that you, you kind of look at the lines and you vaguely see like, okay, there's something here, but that you're never like, oh yeah, that's, yeah, like, like this, this matches, like this fits together. Um, which allowed for a certain level of flexibility. Um, and yeah, I, I, you know, I really love, I think from my work in, in um, literature and I, you know, I, I did one of the things I previously done is a, a PhD in um, kind of experimental poetry. And I think that my interest in poetry comes from an interest in gaps. Um, mm. And I, I really love the, like uh, Ben Lerner is one of my favorite poets you might have heard of. He's also a novelist and um, he, you know, he has all the, these disjunctions in his work where he'll kind of chop things up and move them around or like create these just like um, slices in the middle of lines, like conceptual slices that kind of break up the subject of, of the line. So it doesn't really add together, but it creates this kind of um, like really strong interaction of two things being placed next to each other. And while the game is obviously not as conceptual as that, because it's much more literal, uh, I think that I still try to carry a little bit of the spirit of of the generative qualities of putting a bit of text next to a bit of like a fragment of an image and letting those two things kind of vibrate off each other a little bit. Um, so I think that's, that was important. To how me. did the, uh, just like really brief following up on it, how did you coordinate with, uh, cause sorry, I can't remember the name of, uh, the person who did the music. And did they also do... Oh, Amos. Okay. Amos Roddy. How did you match that up? Or did you sort of... Because there's there's some stuff... I mean, some of it is relatively straightforward when you're, um, when you're closer to the surface, the water sounds a certain way. When you're deeper, it sounds different. But there are parts of the game where, especially when you're... The parts that my favorites I think is when you're getting very deep into you know the abyss and uh, things sound a certain way that feeds really well with the like the negative space in in the uh, like the map that you're looking at and everything like was there were you finishing these and then sending uh, parts of the game over or like how did that work yeah, kind of. It was a lot of video um, that I was sending to Amos to work with. But Amos is very, he's a very, very technical composer and sound designer. And he's somebody who really understands um, how the kind of psychological element of sound works, or at least on, on some level is, is attuned to that, rather than just necessarily saying like, oh, we're going to make a nice track here. And so I think he talked about kind of, I think he used a lot of tricks to kind of tickle your ear in a way at certain 
with certain qualities or to provide like certain atmospheres um, of anxiety or um, or of calmness with a lot of precision. And then with the the like world sounds, we actually made way more like ambiences and creature sounds than there are in the game. Um, but in the end, they also became like there was a point at which I stopped adding uh, sounds. Was too busy because it it became well it became too descriptive again. Mm. Like it, it started to solidify things a little too much. Um, and so there are like there's some really subtle stuff in there, but most of it is quite bold actually. I think um, like it's a there's not a huge amount of 3D sound in the game. For example, initially I thought we'd make much more use of of positional sound that would give you a sense of like oh that creature is is there but that while there is an element of that a lot of the ambience for example is really just based on where like it very broad strokes of where you are and and i think that fitted better with the with the maps that implementation in the end so because i was implementing it amos was giving me it i guess there was like a constant interplay of me asking for things from him and then me trying them out and sending them back to him and seeing how he felt about them. Um, and also trying to balance the ambience and the music together. But yeah, it's it, it's, it was, it's a huge part of it, really, the sound. Mm -hmm. um, there are parts where, yeah. uh, without describing the you know exact like, plot moments or anything, um, where the music kind of takes center stage a bit more, and it's, I think, really powerful. I think the strength is when you have something where you're trying to you know where it's more minimalist and in, in terms of you know description in in all senses of that when it does come time to have bigger moments you can you can really sort of amp up the drama of them and the tension well i think amos had a he had this amazing idea which i i love um in the game, which is that at these story moments, we were originally thinking we just wanted these little musical stings um, that would play. But these musical stings ended up being linked to the progression of the dialogue. I don't know if maybe you picked up on that or, or not, but the, the, the notes in those kind of like cinematic moments, I'd, just, I'd call them because that's what they ended up feeling like, which I was quite surprised at because I never thought we'd be able to get there. But because the music is very, uh, cinematic in the sense that you know it, it matches the the dialogue as the dialogue progresses um and because every time you click to move on to the next line from ellery you're getting a musical musical feedback on on the clip mm -hmm. um i think that that created this really yeah like this r real sense of focus on those scenes those key moments i did notice um, that yeah just in that um yeah, with the section I was in, I was definitely noticing. It was like so subtle that actually, and actually, you know, to its to his credit, it was very like subtly and smoothly done. Because I was like, is this just a soundtrack, or is it going along with with my you know my going forward in the dialogue? Yeah, yeah, I think it was such a cool idea uh, on Amos's part, and I really love it. it. It's yeah, it brings something that I I'm really glad we could get in the game because I think that the game. And still in my head, it's still like a novel or a film, like as in narratively. Mm -hmm. Like I really wanted it to be something that didn't feel like, oh, this is just a space for you to explore with some cool creatures in it. Like it was a, you know, I really wanted to be an, a narrative game, and a, you know, had to have that same kind of 
sense of progression and weight as Firewatch or The Last of Us or something like this, even if it doesn't have the same level as visual presentation, but that it has that same sense of character progression and narrative satisfaction. And um, yeah, I think that, that Amos did a lot there to, to help bring that in a way that I, yeah, I felt like maybe we wouldn't have been able to otherwise get. It, um, it does. I was not surprised, but sort of, um, it, it, it kind of starts propelling you forward in the, the first, I'd say, I don't know, hour or two of the game feels not as urgent. You still have a, there is an urgency to what you're trying to do. You're trying to find someone, um, but the stakes aren't as well-defined until it goes on. And I was, I guess, somewhat surprised by how, uh, how it does kind of, at a certain point, you, I, I felt like I didn't want to explore as much anymore. I wanted to, to get to the next places I was trying to get to very quickly. Um, but, one thing I wanted to kind of get into, and this is something I was looking forward to talking to you about, Gareth, is uh, deep sea weird creatures. Um, <laughs> because this game, uh, the descriptions of, of some of what you encounter in this game, and especially, I think, the way that you describe ecosystems and these invented ecosystems that still... You know they're not entirely fantastic. I mean, they are, but they they do rely on you know what we know of biology here and of of how life can thrive in in seemingly hostile environments. There are a few spaces in particular I'm thinking of, uh, and then also just the idea of going to a place where I think the deep sea is already um, sort of an alien planet that is filled with life that we can look at, which to me is always fascinating, like watching, you know, videos of, of people who are exploring uh, at these incredible depths and something comes out of the darkness. And, you know, I think there was something I, I saw, I wrote up for AV club months ago where it's this, this shark, um, I forget what it is. It has these like big blind looking eyes and it just kind of comes and rubs its face against this camera that's at this incredible depth. And it's the most sort of pit of your stomach. Like, you know, it's awesome in the original sense or maybe awful in the original sense. Um, and I was like thinking about how that kind of stuff, it, it's, it's ours, it's earth, you know, but it's also completely alien and sort of what your how you went about thinking of describing and because you do describe in great detail this ecosystem that doesn't exist yet is it almost feels like hey if we <laughs> explored the right trench somewhere maybe we'd find some of this bizarre stuff like w what that yeah. process was yeah I think um you know, it, it, it like sometimes I kind of think of it as as like the ocean of the game is almost like our ocean, um, filtered through me, like filtered through my own subjective interests and and like approaches because so much of it is you're right is absolutely based on things that are 
that already exist biologically or like that have been discovered recently scientifically. Um, and so a lot of it came from a lot of reading. And I think that when I sat down to think, okay, I'm going to write a an ecosystem, I instantly understood that I was going to have to set myself a ton of um, like generative restrictions, like limitations. So it helped me, for example, to say like, I'm going to pick a real planet that really exists. And then I'm going to say, pick some, pick some, like, I know, okay, I need these environments, but um, like, try and think about environments that might exist on a planet. And then like, what are those? Try to learn from reading and watching things like, what, why is it that like, creatures in the deep sea or are red or why is it that, like what actually sustains life and like what does it need and how does it live um and so it, it ended up being a ton of reading i think this is like a, i've got like a stack of books this is like an undergrad's marine <laughs> biology textbooks essentially that i bought mm. um and and then like a stack of books that are like photographs of marine biology and stuff um but i think because the in a way like some of the visual design came secondary or like the game gave me a certain freedom to to invent things without worrying about what they look like and then and then thinking about what they look like afterwards or at the same time or kind of it being quite flexible and adjust that because it's all writing based which is quite different if i was making a triple a video game or whatever and i had to like concept art um you know the creatures first and the, the visual like in games always the visual is leading the everything um, and so having text lead the creature's descriptions, I think, gave me a certain freedom to really mess around with how you describe things, I guess. Like I could focus on the on like what words I want to associate with a creature mm. rather than necessarily on I'm going to imagine it, draw a picture of it and then try to describe that picture. Instead, it was about what what words and qualities can you use to describe a creature um, and how can I create distinctions between creatures because also all the creatures in the game have to have names before they have names they you know which was like a really delicate thing to try and try and work on um and then because i really didn't want that subnautica thing of like you land on an alien planet and then like everything already has a name um mm. and like all the there's like earth coral just like there for some reason that it's not explained um but yeah, like the, I wanted that sense of discovery, like a genuine sense of okay, this is this is what science looks like, as in you you know in some form, like you you find things and you name them. Um, and I was very inspired by a lot of real, real stuff outside of also reading materials, um, like especially the the like Nautilus Live and Oceanus Explorer, which are like two live streaming deep sea exploration projects, yeah. where they literally yeah, and like discovering these, you just literally live stream. Um, I think that's deep sea exploration. I think that it's might be like where incredible. the shark video came from. I think might have been right. Yeah, one of those videos. Yeah, that, that, I mean those are mind blowing, and I had those running in the background. But I think my favorite thing about those is you have like scientists on there who are just like you know regular PhD students or whatever or like academics, and um, it's so human and so wonderful to watch people get really excited about a sea sponge that is <laughs> yeah. like objectively quite boring, but like actually through their eyes it's it's fascinating and i wanted to also have to, you know to have that in the game that like ellery is your conduit for that 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 she hypes you about like discovering what in other games you might not think was that exciting right like some some fungus like it wouldn't be like a big deal you'd be like you know you'd be looking for the space whale right or like the the dolphins or the, the like whatever the flashy mammal is that everybody loves 
um, that can do tricks. You know, rather than like, oh yeah, this this fungus is really cool. But like in listening to all of those uh, those live streams, I really was like, yeah, this is you know this works. Like you have this is what I don't know, and this is what an ecosystem is built from. Um, it's built from all of these fascinating things. And the more you yeah, like, the more you read, the more you like. You find out things like that the limpet, the, the the third strongest natural substance on the earth, is like the shell of a certain kind of limpet that you can just find like on any beach. Um, you know, stuff like this, and that that really was a huge thing for me as well. Like getting my head around this like idea that like every small interconnected bit of life is in is worth um, thinking about and looking at, not just like the whales and the dolphins mm-hmm. and the and the seals and the cute otters. You know, like actually, just like the stuff of of life is like crazy, and um, yeah. So I I think that was a a big inspiration, and then also this amazing 1977 expedition, um, which I I feel like I knew about, but I didn't really know about properly until I researched this game, where a group of geologists went to find hydrothermal vents, which had not previously they'd only been theorized; they were not okay. considered to you exist. You mentioned them in the game, right? I thought that must have been yeah, a real yeah, scientist. Yeah, I name check it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they found life, um, you know, at, and they were geologists. So they gave all the life, like, really stupid names. Um, because, so, like, they called these these uh, creatures, which are, like, yellow kind of jellyfish-like things, uh, they called them dandelions because they just look like dandelions. So those creatures are now called dandelions because <laughs> some geologists were like, what the hell is that? Oh, it looks like a dandelion. That's what it geologist is. calls a fish deep underwater a, a meat rock, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. There's a there's a fame you can listen to like little bits of um, of the recordings from that dive um, because it's like it's you know people have kind of compared it to the moon landing. It's like the moon landing that nobody ever talks about. It's such a massive discovery that there are entire ecosystems that don't rely on the sun. And the guys on the, the live stream are so funny because at one point he just radios up to the ship and he's like, uh, I thought the deep sea was supposed to be like a desert. And the person on the other end is like, yeah. And he's like, well, there's a lot of animals down here. <laughs> that's that's so cool. Like I, I, cool. So I feel like I grew up, you know, of, and probably all three of us grew up of at a time where, you know, the deep sea was mysterious, but you knew that there were, there was this whole strange and sort of like barely um understood uh series of ecosystems all around the world that you know maybe colored the idea of like swimming in the ocean or something with the idea that this is a very mysterious place that we kind of just see little glimpses of um which i don't know if you know thinking of before that it's kind of sad that that they just thought there was just nothing when, when you yeah. got down far enough, um, I mean, you would think because it's dark and like you know, this that that feeling of going to the abyss and it's pitch black and it's like you know, why would there be anything here? And then kind of for it to ex- you know, because we see things through our lens as like humans, yeah. right? Where it's like if it's um, what we wouldn't want to be down there, so who what would what would? I actually yeah. had a question um, along kind of like brought like on along the themes of of this narrative like in, in this setting obviously like there's a there's been a bit of talk about colonialism in games recently because of animal crossing and obviously <laughs> like research has it has played its role in that and especially like europeans like researching other countries 
Um, and obviously, I think marine biology often gets is kind of not necessarily involved to that extent um, as other like disciplines. But I just was curious about um, yeah, your kind of what you were, how you were, because I know you, you, it's clear that you're approaching it very, like, self-consciously, especially, like, some of the writing early on when the, um, when Ellery's, like, I'm, I don't want to take the, I don't want to disrupt the colony, I want to take this, like, um, I, w- I would, I'm going to take the, the dead version of this animal, or, like, uh, or a piece yeah. of this animal, versus, um, just grabbing them out of, out of their habitat, so, like, clearly there's some thought that goes into it, so I just want, I'm curious to hear more about, I think, how you were aware of this as you were designing the game and, and writing it and, and figuring out the themes. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. It was a really big thing for me, I think, because also because uh, perhaps something like you'll come to in the later game as well, like it, it becomes a really important theme, I think, like our relationship and our exploitation of, of nature. Um, and I think that, yeah, for me, it was, like I wanted to focus on this idea like yeah we you generally don't there's a couple of creatures that you take living samples of um they're kind of I guess like insect equivalent or whatever like you don't you don't go around like cutting chunks out of sentient creatures and like carting them back in formaldehyde or and, and I yeah I wanted to try and um make sure that was part of the game um that you weren't that it that also the concept of a sample versus the concept of a resource i guess was very important to me that like even if maybe that's a bit of a cheat uh from my perspective but that like i'm framing trying to frame what you're taking as having a purpose and to try and encourage the player not to just like even that's really hard to do because i think players are taught to just like sample absolutely everything even if you don't need it and like just end up with this massive stockpile at the end of the game <laughs> of like far too many samples that, that you have literally no use is for. that why you had the limit on the uh sample inventory uh actually no like i i mean yes and no that's actually inspired by um resident evil i think which is might sound a bit weird but like that i always felt that the tiny inventory in resident evil um created this like sense that every time you were in a safe room you you had to like really think about what you're taking with you and you and you kind of set yourself little missions that you'd be like i know you have to go get this key so i'm gonna take like this much ammo but i know that i'm gonna gotta leave gaps because otherwise i'm gonna have to dump the ammo and waste it and stuff like that so yeah i wanted like to encourage that kind of thoughtful dive planning i guess um and i really i like that structure so that was more about encouraging thought but yeah it's a kind of nice side effect i guess that it doesn't um it, it, you can't like you can't just load up on a ton of stuff and generally the things you're taking are like disposable parts like they're like the equivalent of leaves or things that they're products you know like spores or things like this um and then i guess in the wider sense that i think there is still this delicate thing that i i kind of talk like dance around which is science that is probably the most delicate thing for me in the game that i i felt like i really wanted to try and get right but i find is very hard is that i also didn't want to just make science like this 100 percent positive thing where it's like yay science so great like going into the ocean taking these creatures giving them a name now they mean something <laughs> you know I, I i really wanted to respect the the sentience of the the life uh, even if it isn't studied um and so i so what i tried to do was try to encourage to present science as it is 
uh, or not as it is, but like in some relatively realistic form. So it isn't this totalizing thing. So like mm. the creatures don't have implicit names, uh, you know, in most like games and in reality, even we think of creatures' names as kind of almost implicit, even though they're obviously given. And the classifications are arbitrary and changeable as well. So because the taxonomy exists in the game, you can kind of see, okay, that the, you know Ellery's classifying things taxonomically. She's giving them Latin names based on the, on what she's seeing, but also that there's some uh, tentative element to that, and that she's she's not a hundred percent sure about some creatures, and some of them she miss, she kind of almost misclassifies. Or that's the narrative about that creature that you're like, well, what actually is this creature, and should it be in this category or that category, and that that no knowledge is ever fixed, and that generally study raises more questions than it. Um, than it uh, solves as well that like a lot of the study and taxonomy information I tried to make sure it wasn't just like oh now we know everything about this creature um, let's put it in the trophy cabinet kind of thing so yeah I think I, I was definitely trying to be as aware of, about that as possible um, I think it's still difficult you still are going to a an alien planet and taking resources for your own use and consuming them in order to survive. But I, I tried also to think about that as um, the implication of a being that exists, which, you, you know, you, you, the AI and Ellery together form a kind of symbiotic being um, and that you are part of this ecosystem because you are, you know, you are consuming uh, elements of it and you are existing inside it so also that the kind of scientific distance is maybe not possible or is like under question um, so yeah I, I, I tried to think about that in a lot of different ways I guess in relation to in relation to um, colonialism and, and science and colonialism as well That's um, this is one point to where it feels like a dodge and this is usually why we try to on this podcast and on the site, like, not worry about spoiler things and just talk in depth about different elements of the plot. <clears throat> but this, you know, by the time you're hearing this, this is either just coming out or or uh, has only been out very briefly. But I think, and Yusuf, I'm not sure if you got all the way to this point yet, but I think the, the way the game, the place that the game ends up and uh, the way the characters are positioned... Uh, and this is some of the some of the stuff that reminds me of Southern Reach and Annihilation by uh, Jeff Vandermeer is the way it ends up kind of showing the the like, like taking the situation of uh, the environment and the the idea of viewing the environment as a tool or a resource versus something that we live among versus uh, or, or something that we're a part of um, versus uh, something that we, we try to imagine is separate from us, I think comes together in a way that, that for me at least, it, it makes you kind of, by looking at this alien environment, you know, do, does the annihilation thing of saying, uh, maybe look at your own environment also differently because it's not so dissimilar from what you're seeing here. Um, I don't know if it's helpful too much to talk about that though, because then we'd have to get into specifics and I already feel like I'm talking like way too generally to, <laughs> to be, to be useful. I mean, uh, I think even um, in the early parts, like, yeah, 
where where I've been. Like I haven't gotten to like where it's explicitly addressed through the plot. Um, but I think yeah, like I said, I think that you've definitely done work in terms of like um, in terms of like how the world how how the character the characters approach the world definitely like there's a feeling of of respect versus a feeling of of exploitation where like Ellery will um you know kind of being like you said she kind of hypes up these plants and animals and is like in awe of what she's seeing and and, like kind of gives them cute names a lot lot of the time and it's more personal to her than than the than the um the assumption that she's going to like profit off of this in terms of like this is going to then you know this is going to seal my career in the scientific community or this is i could take you know it's it's more incidental to her just searching for her friend and she's also like kind of and that's that feeling of like kind of being part of the environment versus um using as a resource where it's like you know i think that is that is a human aspect right like that is how we survive as how we survived before civilization which was like we took things that like that maybe animals used and and then and then or they were part of animal byproducts and then we kind of use those things to survive in nature it's basically what defines us as humans because we don't have any natural any like physical um um behaviors that would that allow us to survive inherently we have to kind of use our minds to to survive and that so that's not inherently like colonialist or like exploitative. I think obviously it's gotten to the, it, it got to that point, um, but to then to kind of do that, but then to you're not replicating that unthinkingly. I think it's always grappling with the idea of like of the person of the of her role in that environment, and um, you know there's yeah. So I think that even subtextually or like kind of outside of the outside of the plot, like I, I think it's coming through in the narrative. Um, and and the framing of of our progress of the game. So yeah, I think it's really interesting, especially yeah, like because um, for those who haven't played Animal Crossing, uh, <laughs> you know it it does everything that you're like kind of saying that you were trying to avoid, right? Like there's there's explicit taxonomies, there's museums that are like rep- rep- like that are like kind of evocative of like old like British explorer societies. I think in her- like explicitly like inspired by um yeah. where it's like the idea that like we're gonna go around the world and plunder these these elements and take them back to like our little town and showcase them um and like we know exactly what they are we know exactly everything you know we we have like our little like factoid snippets of of um that we took from encyclopedia um and just keep on taking them because they'll never run out and um, use them to, to get a cool house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 Animal Crossing is actually just like insanely insipid. Uh, even I mean, I'd like a, I have to you know disclaim that like I'm playing it like everybody else, and you know there's plenty of enjoyment to be got out of it. It's not like I'm not of the school of like oh, just because I recognize this problematic thing in something doesn't mean that um that like. Therefore, I have just like sworn off touching it and cannot 
possibly. You would not be able to play video games if that was your outlet. <laughs> yeah, ex <laughs> exactly, right? Exactly. I think as a group of games critics, we're probably very familiar with uh, with this experience. But yeah, that like it's in actually I found it insane how insipid some of it was. Like especially when you're just like, oh, you can buy a ticket to fly off to an island, which you can just like take everything from. And then just like go home, and <laughs> the game explicitly is like, yeah, do that because <laughs> because no one, you will never be able to go back there, and um, nothing there matters. You know, it just like creates this like massive other space that just exists in order to um, to justify the existence of the island, which is like such a classic that there's like so much good writing on like infrastructure space and. Um, you know how like uh, that's like how our society is built like in the in the west right mm. like it's built around this structure of like the, there is the the, the the metropole and then like it you know there is all of this like unseen infrastructure which supplies it um which includes like infrastructure which exists like on a global scale not just infrastructure which exists in the country or in the fields around or whatever like in the kind of classical sense but like actually exists you know in, in the infrastructure of london exists in you know in e-waste sites right in in um, india so it's yeah like i think that that game is anyway that's total diversion but yeah like that game is just like insanely um insipid which is quite strange um but i think that game also loves objects and I think it just treats animals as objects because, like, all the objects are modeled and made with such love. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just kind of like the way in which animals behave and are treated. The fact that you can, like, that there'll be like a little swimming fish and then you'll pull it out and then it will be a stone or a boot <laughs> or a fish. You know, it's like those are all the same category of, uh, mm -hmm. of being. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, yeah. And, and they are for some reason, as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like you can put them down as furniture. You can use them as like coffee tables. <laughs> they come. They come with their own box. You know, like <laughs> untouched, unopened trout in original packaging, kind of thing. Yeah, it's like going to the grocery yeah. store, like like a Trader Joe's or something, and everything is like there. None of the vegetables are like, like you know, um, don't they don't look natural because they're all prepackaged and all labeled and branded and kind of look. Like in their like, in a their commercial form basically. Yeah, platonic. Their platonic, platonic commercial form. form. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's. I mean, Animal Crossing. Also, I think this is the first one I've ever played, and I think it has like a. Me certain, too. Yeah. So it probably has a history there. Yeah. It's got like a certain like demented glee with what it's doing. Too. <laughs> like it seems to be like, uh, I don't know. This is these are our rules. <laughs> you've you've yeah, come yeah, into yeah. a strange world where, you know, there's there's like a, a a bird walking around on two legs and these talking raccoons and this is just how it goes here. <laughs> this yeah, it it is a super manic like space, and I think like even the fact that the museum has like these weird evolutionary chains yeah the different like species of it's animal human. <laughs> that they bothered to put in that I just found so freaky yeah. and like, but like slightly demented as well. Like there's something kind of just just bro just uh, broken about that. And like there was a video I saw the other day on Twitter of like somebody who just catches a fish and then somebody else runs up to them and I think they're trying to show them that they just caught a hammerhead shark, but instead they accidentally release the hammerhead <laughs> shark into the river, and so the hammerhead shark just like 
This person just runs up to them and then like a hammerhead shark just jumps out of their pocket <laughs> and lands in the sea. And th- those things are, in- are like really difficult to find. So the character who just like accidentally released it into a river just kind of walks over to the river and looks like really glumly at the river <laughs> in this way, like, oh God. <laughs> but it's all because everyone's just kind of blithely smiling through the whole thing yeah. and kind of blinking those like mad Animal Crossing blinks. Yeah, it's... Um, I was speaking with a friend who like compared it to Habbo Hotel. If any of us are the vintage that needs to, to know what a Habbo Hotel is, that is that the, like yeah. the little rabbits with the? Uh... No, it was like it was like the Club Penguin before Club Penguin. I think. Oh, okay. So it's like an old. Mm. It's like it's like a hotel of like little pixel people that you could go back in the old days of the internet and just hang out with strangers. Um, and it always had this slight, slightly demented quality. It was kind of famous for for being a grooming ground as well so oh, i feel like animal crossing Christ. has this kind of original internet madness to it that is quite nice yeah um yusuf or gareth is there is there anything else you want to touch on before we I realize that we're we're uh going pretty long here so i mean there's i feel like there's, there's so much more to talk about obviously i wish i i kind of wish i had finished the game a bit before the podcast um but <laughs> It's also, you know, I, I do think it's, there's still, you know, I got a lot out of what I've played so far and I look forward to, to getting over that, you know, seeing what, ha- what happens with the plot. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think like, yeah, I think that I, I, I was just going to, going to say, um, dr- uh, bouncing off of what the, the Animal Crossing thing with the rarity of objects like it does there is like a it feeds off of like scarce scarcity like economics right where it's like you're basically spending your time to find it's like the gotcha game mechanic where you're spending your time to then resource rare objects versus like um in other waters where there's not as much i mean there you know you have like the kind of the side quests of uh, if to put a blunt game term on it <laughs> of um of, of other samples that you know you can grab and i think that's part of why i actually didn't finish the game because i kept going off and like <laughs> try, like i was like very distracted and i was like i need to like get i need to fully research this um this uh, this plant because like i have a sample and i can't research it and it's driving me nuts um so that's certainly like i have certain gameplay compul- like gamer compulsions that probably colored my experience um but it's yeah i don't think there's like the same amount, level of like of kind of artificial scarcity like i don't think these are things like there's not like you if you want to find things it's pretty easy to find them in your game um yeah but how did you balance like yeah kind of this like resource um or not this resource but this like um this I guess the the tension between the, between like the tech, the taxonomy aspects of it, where you just want to like really like discover everything, and then the and then the story, the plot line. Yeah, I think I wanted to create a space. I like I, I'm I, I always feel like I'm inspired weirdly by like small aspects of big games rather than small games in in what I do, and I think that I was I really love the structure of Destiny, not the kind of obvious structure but the structure where when i first played destiny i was always like it's just really cool to play 
a like traditional campaign first-person shooter where you can just like go into any of the campaign maps and just hang out for no reason. <laughs> um, and there will be other people sometimes there. And because Destiny was very much not an MMO in its original release, though they really felt like you were just hanging out in the campaign map. Like it didn't feel like there was, you know, there were some basic attempts at giving you tasks, but basically patrol zones were kind of dead. Um, they just had enemies like reappearing in the same zones. And I, yeah, I, I really like that aspect of games, that capacity to give you a space to idle in. Mm. And I guess like a lot of my heterotopias work also, I is really motivated by my love of idling in games like of taking too long and like ignoring the plot while i take a nice picture of something or like just hanging out and absorbing ambience like half the time i listen to just like youtube videos of, of game area ambiences and stuff when i'm working and things like i just i love that aspect of games so when i yeah when i came to make a game i, I knew that i would want to make a game that gave people the opportunity to stay in it as long as they wanted if that was what they wanted um, and yeah, I think that I wanted to balance that with the narrative aspect. And so that just kind of came quite naturally, but then also originally it was much like things were much more hidden, but the more I played it, the more I felt like that was kind of unnecessary, like that it didn't add any value. It was just me falling into a traditional game trope of being like, oh, you have to figure out for yourself where to find this thing. It's, it's almost like all the bad stuff that Dark Souls did for game designers because they like so many people played it and were like, oh, we just need to make things really esoteric and then people will love our game. Um, and it's led to a lot of bad stuff, I think. Mm -hmm. So, and yeah, like, so instead I, like all of those annotations that get stuck on your map by Ellery, I realized they were like a nice opportunity for also to, to always have Ellery kind of be active because one of the key things for me was that she shouldn't feel like somebody that you're just driving around and that she should feel like she's somebody who has her own body and her own life. And so that hence why you can, you can watch her walk around in the, in the base, mm. like separate from you. And she records her own thoughts and she, you know, basically all the text apart from some later stuff that is, that is like not written by her, pretty much everything in the game is written by her. Um, and I, yeah, I just really wanted her to be, to have agency. So I like the idea that while you were asleep, you know, this kind of this slightly obvious, but like useful paradigm I use where you kind of basically fall asleep every time you go back to the base and then wake up a bit later. Um, but during that time she's busy doing stuff like in the lab and she's making annotations and she's studying and she's, she's living, um, and thinking and being lonely and, and reflecting on her life, um, so yeah, I think all of that was was part of it as well. That that I wanted to make it uh, so you could idle, but I also didn't want to make it so that it was just felt like I'm just needlessly hiding things from you. I want I really would like it if the player is like, oh, I love this creature. I think this creature is really cool. I really want to know more about it. That that is within their power to quite quickly just go and go and like study it um, and learn that stuff and get that get that feedback, um, especially as not of the the study studies are motivated by any kind of reward apart from information and and like a drawing at the end you know i wanted and i think that just comes from my experience as a as a player like that's what i like in games i don't really care if you're going to give me like a hundred gold to do something or whatever I, I would much prefer to do it for my own reasons um so i wanted to create a space where you could do that so that's embarrassing because remember you said this morning you were asking me if i platinumed the game 
Because <laughs> you said you're doing all the... Uh, you yeah, said, I'm getting achievements. You said you're doing the side content. To, mm-hmm. uh... Yeah. 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 Got to get that 100%. Classic, classic game reviewer. Rushed through the story. Didn't want to platinum it. <laughs> you probably don't have the full taxonomy listed. No, I don't. <laughs> you better disclose that yeah. In, yeah. at the Jesus. end of, at the end of this podcast. Can you even give an opinion about the game? No, if you haven't seen every last plant. Might as well not have played it at all. <laughs> um, uh, is there anything else we want to want to touch on, Gareth? What maybe as a as kind of like a, a bookend to this? I think it might be interesting to uh, to make you speak very eloquently about this what would you hope i think of your game critic brain too what would you hope that players take from this game when, when it's done and like what is the ideal kind of uh impression or or thought that you're you're hoping is is maybe left when when people are done um yeah I think that I'm really interested in creating a space where people can reflect on how they or we relate to the environment in a more general sense or like whatever the environment means, as I just said it, Um, you know, it's a really crude term, but like our surroundings or like other life, um, I, you know, that's a really huge part of uh, the game for me is that that kind of putting people in a space where they can think about that without necessarily like giving them all the answers or whatever, or saying like, go plant a a tree or save a fish or whatever, um, to create a space of of, like reflection. But I think also like, I know I, I, you know, my big key stones are like things like Annihilation um, or maybe JG Ballard's like Drowned World which ends with like the spoilers uh, ends with like the scientists just kind of like wandering off into the new world. Um, and then also, um, uh, like semiosis, Suburg semiosis, which is about like a, a human society starting on a planet, which has like, um, like plants who are sentient. And so those plants kind of use humans in the same way that plants use insects on earth. Hmm. And, in a way, like that, that book is really cool because it provides a lot of thinking points about how society and ecology relate to each other. But it doesn't really end by saying like, and then that's the answer yeah. to society and ecology. So I guess I, I, I like that. And then for me also, like the the sense of connection with Ellery is really important. Um, a lot of like a, a lot of this game is in a way like slightly an experiment in some of the thoughts I have about how you create relationships with characters in games um, by frustrating the relationship or by creating somebody who is not just going to be like, oh, you've talked to me. It's another Mass Effect reference, but like you've talked to me five times, like <laughs> let's have sex. Um, the Like the very non-transactional relationship. And um, I was really, I like one of the things, again, small parts of big games, but like... Uh, Ellie in The Last of Us, the way that like in the early game they give you all these prompts where you can like press X or whatever to talk to her, but then Joel just screws it up for you. <laughs> so she'll start saying something really interesting about her background, and then Joel will be like, "Oh, shut up!" 
and just get really grumpy. And so they really frustrate that relationship for so long. Um, and I think they do it in a, re in a way that people don't give that game credit because people always think of the cutscenes are doing all the work, but I think mm -hmm. they do a lot of work with those little moments um, and how they restrict the player from learning about Ellie for a long time. And so, yeah, I think like those kind of like plays of intimacy and um, uh, is are also really important to me. So I'd like people to come away from it like feeling something about Ellery. That would be that would also be nice. Um, and uh, yeah, it's kind. I think that's that's pretty much it. It's kind of uh, tricky, huh? If you look at like Annihilation or all of Southern Reach as well. I'm sorry to keep mentioning them, but uh, great, great trilogy. Um, to tell a story that wants you to think of connection in a in a sense that's broader than just interhuman connection, but also to help people identify with uh, sort of less anthropomorphic forms of connection and togetherness and relationships and community and so forth. Um, I'd also recommend like Octavia Butler. I'm sure you've read some of her stuff, but uh, like I want I'm I haven't heard of Semiosis, so I'll definitely read that. But like Xenogenesis sounds very similar, and like the Blood Child short stories, like where she's kind of because she writes a lot about or she wrote a lot about um, aliens and humans interacting and changing as a result of the interaction. Like that was I feel like one of her main areas of of uh, science fiction, like discovery oh. like especially like um the xeno the xenogenesis series where it it's kind of takes place in like a, a far future where humanity has destroyed itself and then like aliens come to like, basically aliens are the colonizers and they come and basically take the remaining humans <laughs> who are still are samples of humans and then raise them in their like spaceship and then bring them and then trying to recreate earth and try and try to recreate society, um, partially because they feed off of like humans' energy in in some way, but also because they, they're they're also trying to like re you know rebuild society essentially. Um, and it's told through like one of the main, um, one of the women who like is like the the first people of that new society. Huh, that's Octavia awesome. Butler. Yeah, Xenogenesis. Yeah. I mean, pretty much every single thing she's written, I think, is excellent. But in in this in this area, like in terms of the, in the annihilation area, like her stuff is more explicit, um, but I think it's super thought provoking and interesting. Yeah, yeah, I haven't read those, so I'll, I'll definitely look those up. I think there's a, I think this also points to the fact that, like for me at least, I, like I grew up reading a lot of science fiction, and I think that like I still in my head think of In Other Wars as a science fiction novel that's also a game because I kind of feel like it has so much science fiction that was fed into it, and so much of what I'm trying to do is kind of science fiction novelly as opposed to gamey. But I, yeah, I guess it depends. I guess if we think of games as, like, spaces that we can go into, and, like, novels as... Like, science fiction novels kind of cross that line already, right? Like, they're, they're both spaces you go into and stories that you're told. Um, mm -hmm. And so that I, I guess, like... I feel like the game has has like resonances there that, that I I like to think about anyway. Um, sure. But yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I think it pulls it off for sure. Yeah, 
Cool. Well, that's that. Then. <laughs> Good job. Uh, yeah. So I guess that's probably that's probably about it. I guess we should say we don't know a hundred percent exactly when this will go up, but I think it'll be up on on uh, April third, which means that in other waters is out. But if it's, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm safeguarding myself. I'm I'm building in a buffer in case some schedule stuff changes. So In Other Waters is out on Friday, April 3rd. Um, Gareth, what do you want to tell people about... Maybe you don't want to muddy the waters by suggesting that they follow you in any capacity other than as the In Other Waters <laughs> developer. <laughs> but it, is there um, anything else you want to point people toward? Uh, no, no, I think the game is, the, yeah, I, yeah, I will, I really want people to play the game. Um, what's your, because, you know, what's your plan for, for after this? Are you gonna make uh, so, game? yeah, for sure. That's the, that's what I, that's why I want people to play, the, to play <laughs> yeah. the game. I'd really love to, I'd love to keep doing this. Um, yeah, I feel like I'd learn a lot making, uh, in other waters and I kind of really want to keep proceeding down this path, but I, I'm also like I'm working on a new issue of Heterotopias um, as well, which is cool because that's had to kind of go to sleep in the end part of this game mm-hmm. because I can't do both. Um, but yeah, so I, yeah, I'm planning something involving more kind of like things with messing with text narratives and um, yeah, I think like more experiments, like slightly experimental work at least. So it would be cool to see how this game goes down with people as well. Because I think a lot of the narrative stuff we're discussing here and a lot of the stuff we've tiptoed like really <laughs> ominously around is um, is the stuff that I'm really curious about people responding to because I think people maybe don't know that that is in the game. Like they, they, they know they're going to explore an ocean, but I don't know if maybe some of the later stuff they might not. Yeah, they might not know. Anyway, that's enough tiptoeing. So, um, but yeah, I, I hope people play it. Um, uh, but even if they they don't want to play it, they can also find me on Twitter at at jump over the age. Um, and then what what are the best? What's the best way to buy this game? Uh, for you? Oh, for me, I don't. I don't. Uh, Steam is fine, or you can play it on Switch. I really like it. On, I personally really like it on Switch. Um, I think it's going to be great in Switch, like because I've been playing with the controller and I think that's working well. And the Switch ha- is really interesting for like sometimes for feelings of immersion. Like because I play, uh, have you played Thumper? Like I yeah, played that yeah. on on the PS4 and the computer. For some reason, I bought it on every platform stupidly because <laughs> it's pretty good. Um, it's great. It is good. But then on the Switch, it like is totally felt like its own. Like it kind of felt almost more atmospheric, like kind of oxymoronically because the screen is so small. But like because you're holding it in your hand and like you're kind of you kind of can get sucked into it more in that in that respect. Yeah, yeah. I think the the no- novel, like literary aspect of the game, comes out really strongly on Switch. That's why I, I kind of I like that platform for it. I like the idea that people can kind of curl up with the game in handheld mode and kind of read read it in a more comfortable way. But that's just my preference. I don't really like sitting and playing games at my computer. So some people love that. If people want to feel like um, very like scientific operators sat at a desk, then they can play on PC <laughs> with a mouse. And there's a few options. I wanted to be sort of lying flat on my stomach and looking through a hole where <laughs> the screen was below it. And... <laughs> 
<laughs> you I know. should make a custom rig for that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna make my my in other waters uh, yeah. haptic controller, <laughs> full body controller. Yeah, yeah, it's like those BattleTech like guys yeah. who make the, the robot. <laughs> The mech rigs, but it's just for this game. And I'm gonna make it in yeah. the basement of a uh, of an aquarium to uh, <laughs> to really yeah. get the, the smell and the. You gotta get that chlorine smell in yeah. there. Nice. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I I urge people to go check this out. I think uh, it, it's one of those games where it's it's uh, irritating that it's made by someone who I I couldn't write a you know a proper feature review or something on this but it's it's definitely rewarding it's one of the games that um you know i guess we talk about this on this podcast all the time but you you hope that a game kind of meets you uh as it it doesn't look down upon you as as someone who doesn't understand anything about the world and i think this game uh you know uh has there's a lot to take from it there's there's a lot to uh, to dig into in different aspects of it, and it's also just enjoyable too. Um, I think a lot of people yeah. like it. It's it's not um, if you're worried from looking at screens or anything that it it will be sort of uh, you know uh, too experimental to to grab to uh, to grapple with or to hold on to. It's it's I think. It's it's very accessible. I think people will not have a hard time finding their way into it and appreciating what there is to to get from it. That yeah, it was interesting for me. I was just going to say that my yeah my assumption was that it was going to be like pretty dry, and then you know there are definitely like indie games that I appreciate, but also are you have to kind of start with a strong cup of coffee <laughs> and play maybe like a couple of, I mean an hour of, and then you're good because like it's a more like. I think mentally taxing because of it, you know like a like a like an experimental movie or something. But I think like the way you designed this was actually it's been very like just unambiguously enjoyable, like just fun to play and like come back to um even like the not like I don't you know it 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 ranges between um more like open exploration and then more uh, tense story moments and uh, and or like kind of classical gaming moments where there's like your oxygen is running out and and that would be but I think it's where it works on both levels like I think like the the tense moments work but also the moments where it feels more relaxing and um, you're just kind of you're you're drifting along and, and scanning things and it, it, it's a very for me it's it's felt very like um, enjoyable to experience and I don't. I'm not watching the clock or anything. Like I'm definitely get sucked into its world. So I think you you do a great job with that. Mm-hmm. Gamer's you. choice. Wow. Solid frame rate. Thank you guys as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, runs at a <laughs> uninterrupted <laughs> uh, 60 FPS <laughs> on my. Oh, it really, it really doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Let's look at it. That's, well, it's because I downloaded the 4K texture pack, which I think. Might have uh, changed it slightly. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot yeah. that you have that in other waters. Yeah. Uh, Nvidia graphics card. Yeah. The, the one with, yeah. And I download I downloaded the mod where it gives us fish sexy bodies. Um, <laughs> so that was making it chug a little bit, but. But yeah, it, kinda... it, was, it was totally worth it though. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, you got to watch out for that HD texture pack <laughs> yeah. as well. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, that's that's gonna that's gonna do it, Yusuf. Uh, 
Where can people find you on Twitter and so forth? I am Yumi you on Twitter. Uh, and yeah, I guess uh, I'm at Reven Carter on Twitter, but uh, bullet point stuff. If you enjoyed this, go and go and read our website, bulletpointsmonthly.com. Uh, running stuff on Kentucky Route Zero right now, soon to switch over to Doom Eternal. And uh, another relaxing, thoughtful game. Yeah, <laughs> very similar vibe. And <laughs> yeah. Uh, surprisingly, yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't want you to like resource the demons. It just wants you to kind of like observe them and read about the <laughs> yeah. story. <laughs> uh, and uh, podcasts as well um, that you can listen to. And of course, uh, Patreon. Go, go uh, do the Patreon stuff. It's it's a good thing to do. We appreciate everyone who does it because it allows us to have a website and to pay contributors to to write for our website. And I think there are now uh, I think there are three and a half video game websites left. So by process of elimination, you should be supporting us because the other two are owned by Disney and Amazon. <laughs> um, <laughs> Anyway, uh, patreon.com slash bullet points. There's, there's some stuff to look at there and some stuff that you can only listen to and so forth from signing up. Uh, last thing, OK Hero, a book on Metal Gear Solid by myself and Ed Smith and co-edited by Astrid. And yeah, go go get that. I think that's everything. That's all the shilling. That was some efficient shilling, wasn't it? It's beautiful. Okay, okay. And yeah, uh, in other waters, Switch... PC is it Mac as well, Gareth or Mac? Yeah. Oh wow! Yep. What... It's luxury. Linux? No. <laughs> <laughs> fake, fake gamer. Uh, yeah, that's very disappointing. <laughs> uh, in other waters, uh, go uh, get it on Friday, April third, and uh, and yeah, I, I, you know what? I'll say too. Speak at a speak at a class here if you like it. Maybe send Gareth a, just a little note just say hey i like your game because when people work hard making stuff for a long time they usually like hearing if you like it because people have feelings anyway with that (laughs) resounding message (laughs) people have feelings we'll sign if you're still if you're still listening goodbye (laughs) (laughs) goodbye bye